Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Top 8 Magic. I'm Brian David Marshall, joined by, I would say as always, but it's really just not true, but <laughs> generally, as Often generally, true. Michael J. Flores, uh, with the longest-running Magic podcast. Uh, in and, Canada, at least. And, well, ever. But that's besides the point. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's the day after the Pro Tour. A.K.A. Mythic Championship 4. Mythic Championship IV. A.K.A. the Hogak Debutante Ball. There was a lot of Hogak. There was a lot of Hogak. I mean, you wouldn't know Not that much Hogak in the top eight. One. But, so that's good, right? Um, so, I don't know. One of the things, I didn't do this, uh, but I'm going to go do it. I started, you're like, oh, let's talk about this. I want to see how many dedicated sideboard cards per deck there are in the top eight yeah okay it's a hogak because i can t- i can tell you how many hogaks were in the eight and two or better record how many so there were 20 decks that went eight and two or better yep 11 of them were hogak okay well so uh, so no it, other deck had more than two so it sounds like limited records <laughs> may have factored in may have factored into the top eight uh composition um and we have some decks that are faster than Hogak, right? Like that, what? I don't know. Like, just, like seems what? Seems like a thing I would say. As a, go, let's do my thing first. Okay. Say, like, okay. All right. I'm going to start with Alvaro Fernandez Torres's Heart and Scales deck. Yeah. This deck has four Graft Diggers Cage in the sideboard. Okay. You wouldn't consider any of, like, Nature's Claim, Torpor Orb, Dismember, or Damping Spear as being anti-Hogak cards, would you? Uh, let's see. I'm looking at the sideboard right now. Uh, no, Damping Spear is an anti-Urzatron. Yeah, not, not Hogak, right? Yeah. Graft Digger's Cage. Graft Digger's Cage, okay. So, Sean Gifford's Eldrazi. But by the way, Graft Digger's Cage kind of stinks against Hogak. It's a card you can It's play. a card you can play... But, like, we saw people with Graft Digger's Cage, and you just still get to cast a Hogak from your hand, and you could still just stick an 8-8 on turn two. Well, Whereas Leyline of the doesn't Void... Doesn't it limit your ability to get zombies back from the graveyard for free? It does It does limit some of your abilities to do certain things. Look, man, what do you want for one mana? <laughs> I don't know. I want for zero mana a, like, a Leyline of the Void, no, really a.k.a. Fun. the most played card. In the tournament. In the entire tournament. All right, so I'm going to look at this. So Sean Gifford's Eldrazi Tron. By the way, so obviously we're, we're talking about the modern format, by yeah. the way. Um, spoilers, Hogak didn't win. <laughs> there was only one of them, and it didn't win. But, go ahead. So Gifford's yep, I got sideboard you. has 11 singletons. I believe they are all artifacts. Walking Ballista, Basilisk Collar, Ensnaring Bridge, Graftaker's Cage, Liquid Metal Coating, Mycosynth Lattice... Mystic Forge, Pything Needle, Spatial Contortion is not an artifact. Tormod's Crypt and Worm Coil Engine and Four Leyline of the Void. So, four cards he can't cast. <laughs> Graf Jigger's Cage, Tormod's Crypt, which he can potentially get in game one. I was just going to say, worth, worth noting that the Graf Jigger's Cage yeah. is sort of tur- is turn, turn game oneable. So, he's got Karn the Great Creator. So, for those of you who don't know, Karn the Great Creator lets you go get stuff out of your sideboard. It's very wish like. Uh, if you get a Mycosynth Lattice... Uh, it's game over. It, it's, it's like a one-way Armageddon. Right. Kind of, right? Yes. Like, they can kill your Karn. They can just float some mana because, and because make sure you're Because of the static ability yeah, of Karn. Your Mycosynth Lattice and, you know, yeah. the jig's going to be up. Let me tell you something. You, 
you, you know, we're going to look back at this area. You know, we have like Eldrazi Winter or Hogak yeah. Summer. Or we're, I think, feel like we're going to look back at this era of modern as static ability <clears throat> two, three year span. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I, like, oh, I just, I hate them. So, how many do you think? So, there's four Leyland Le- 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 of the Void, Grafter's Cage, and. And you, know, and you know, a basilisk collar. <laughs> Death touch that Hogak. Huh. <laughs> I mean, he does have he does have the end bringer, right? You, yeah, you get yeah. the end bringer. You can get it all. I, I actually think it's probably pretty hard for the any of the little guys to get past an end bringer wearing that. Yeah, you know, so. sure. Uh, you can do different stuff, but he is certainly bringing in sure. four leyline of the void, right? Just and he's got the ability to get the stuff in main deck. I, it's possible he brings the fifth one in, right? right. And it just searches for the other one, right? So just increase his density of answers. All right, Manuel Lentz playing Urza Thopter Sword. So the second wins faster than Hogak wins, to be fair. I don't think... Well, maybe it wins Wins. Fast. Wins faster. Wins it doesn't just kind of like... Right. So this deck, does it have any black mana? He's got Hollowed Fountain makes white. Polluted Delta doesn't actually tap. Oh, he's got a Watery Grave. That makes it black. He's got a Swamp that taps for black. To justify... He's also got of, four Arkham's Astrolames. He can cast anything he wants. So he's got two Leyline of the Void in the sideboard. Uh, not heavy, not heavy. He's got the two Nihil Spellbombs main. Yeah. Which are, you know... But, really I, the, the, but Asterisk, the second... And the Grafdigger's Cage main. This is faster than Hogak. Okay. Right? Like, I mean, it doesn't have to be on theme, right? Sure. He could just, you know, just play, you know, his other pieces in, like, soft win, right? He doesn't have to... Sure. He doesn't have to... It just, it's super ultra just combo. Spine of Isha them out. Probably not. I think <laughs> I think that's not a very good way to do it. I think like just making some one ones that gain a little life on the way is probably just annoying because like they don't have bridge from below anymore, right? So their ability to pierce through a bunch of one ones is not perfection. Oh yeah, no, no, you're right. I'm yeah. sorry. I thought you, said, I thought you said it's staring bridge for a second. No, he's just gonna make yeah. one ones, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's kinda cloud the board up. And, and he's He's got legitimate cards that legitimately move you forward. Hogak is really kind of like, it's very illegitimate. It's 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 a Ramsey Bolton. It's like the a flaying bastard of Bolton type deck. You know, it's gonna just cut a lot of skins, take Winterfell through Skullduggery, but not. It's not you know. He's not really forwarding. Yeah. The agenda of the North the way let's say. A Sansa Stark, Queen of the North would. Sure. Right? Would you agree to that? I would agree to that. So, David Mines playing Yund, Hund, some sort of deck that we've never heard of before. With, with uh, only The only archetype that had two people in the yeah, top eight. Like, man, Ren and Six. Saw something today where someone was like, that's going to be a $200 card before you know it. Ren and Six is so weak. Yeah. It's a good little card, right? It that's really like, is. That's like when people said to themselves, hey, I want a personal helmet. It was, it was the card I was most excited for out of Modern Horizons before sort of the full scope of Hogak, you know, emerged. You could still be more excited for Ren and well, Six. Well, I am. I don't think Hogak's going to be around much longer. I'll be honest I mean, look, with you. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm not expecting Hogak to retain its value. So, like... Smallpox killed a lot of people, right? Yeah. There was an era of where every human being nobody played smallpox. Got in the smallpox. Mike, don't be stupid. Right? Right. Nobody played I'm smallpox. I'm not excited to play smallpox, <laughs> but if you say, "Hey, 
Smallpox. What had the smallpox was very power, very popular. It was quite the influencer. A hundred percent of human had beings of, had a lot of clout. Who who uh, lived past adulthood survived smallpox in the, you know the the eighteenth century. So I'm just saying, yeah. nobody played smallpox as far as I can tell. So uh, let's see, John. So we're talking about Ren and Six. Yeah, yeah Carter Sweet. Yeah, Carter Sweet. Um, so he's got main deck. It, um, two scavenging ooze. And main deck surgical extraction. Oh, that's like cheating. Yeah. So I would just point something out, which is they unbanned Blood Braid Elf so that David could play one. I don't think he realized. <laughs> it's not on the restricted list. <laughs> He's like, clearly. It's, it's, clearly it's, it's restricted. restricted. No, it's a. So you could just play the full four. He played one. Uh, can, so we, what, can we just take a moment to appreciate the last card in David's sideboard? Weather the storm. <laughs> Weather the storm. Just like the Michael J. Flores FU card. <laughs> I mean, his deck is not going to beat a legitimate. Like, let's say like there was a, a, a really misguided person coming to play Burn. Look at this deck. Like, he's not going to win, right? Like, his deck's got like Liliana the Veil and one Bloodbraid Elf, right? He's pretty much going to get all of his guys killed. Right. Yeah, Weather the storm would be bad time for Becky. What's he got in the sideboard? Four Leyline of the Void. Got it. So. Here is a player who, despite having multiple surgical extractions and multiple scavenging oozes in the main deck, yeah. still played four copies of Leyline of the Void. Right. So, um, okay. Martin Muller. Wow. Muller. Yeah. Blast from the Skins game past playing Hogan. No, 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 no. Am I in the wrong Muller? You're in the wrong Muller. That's all. You're thinking of Andre Muller. Oh. This is Martin Mueller. This is Martin Mueller. I'm going to fuck up. I'm going to fuck up again. Oh. And then I'll fuck up one more time. Like and then you're my doing eyes right bug. Now. Yeah. Sorry about that. I'm just, I. I yeah, I understand. It's first, in, I thought it was Martin Mull. <laughs> noted character actor. <laughs> Ooh. The kids love a soap reference. <laughs> you know? Because he got, like, you know, that kind of yeah. paintbrush mustache. Yeah. <laughs> Much like Martin Mueller. Yeah. So, uh, the two main deck lay line of the void in the main deck. Yeah. Hit that one hard. Uh, I thought it was cute that he played Seder Wayfinder. That was cute. Seder Wayfinder seemed great. It's a solid little elvish visionary. Uh, and he's got two more laying on the board in the sideboard. A shenanigans. I just wanted to say that out loud. Yep, it's a it's funny word. Very popular. So, what do you think? What do you think about the? Advancement of Leyland of the Void to the main deck. Does that count extra? I think that does. I think that should that should actually count as like six copies. Is that like ding 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 <laughs> ding 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 ding? There were a lot of main deck ley lines running around. I don't think we see them all in the top eight here. Yeah. But there were a lot of them. So, and there were in fact there were Hogak decks with main deck. We just Leyland saw one. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Juan Jose Rodriguez Lopez with Mono Red Phoenix. I gotta tell, I gotta you, tell you, this is not a Phoenix deck as I, much I as have, this is a burn deck. I have played with and against Mono Red Phoenix. I don't know why you would do that. <laughs> uh, I mean, so there's, like, if you watch, he, so this deck knocked Younger Vigishma out of top eight contention. Yeah. Younger almost got a six top eight. He was playing Hogak. Yeah. And uh, it was like a turn three kill from this deck. Yeah. Pretty pretty convincingly, and then uh, the game three, which seemed a little fumbly, but eventually the deck just rewarded him with three metamorphoses and a bunch of prowess triggers and two lightning bolts to kill the blockers. Yeah, I mean, I, I played this deck heads up against my burn deck uh, a fair amount when I when I, you know the the one drop deck I made yeah. with the black um, uh, a few months ago. 
it was the better part of a year ago at this point. Yeah. Uh, and the consensus was like, why would you play Mono Red Phoenix? This is making, it's just it's just much clunkier. Right. Right. It's a less consistent and much clunkier, and the the payoff is not that good. Right. Right. You just get them three twos with haze. You don't even like Finale of Promise that much, do you? I don't like cards. Like, Finale so, is like a card you play because you're playing Phoenix now, right? Look, look, I think there's such a high concentration of cards you can play with, like Light Up the Stage, which, uh, which Juan Jose has in his deck. You just don't need to compromise, right? right? Like, you can just play cards that all cost one and surround your opponent with things that ruin their day. <laughs> like, you don't, you know, like, why play cards? Seriously, even, this deck has only 18 land, okay? Yeah. You're going to be in a situation where you're keeping a one-land hand with multiple Manamorphos hoping to hit the lottery. And even if you do, you might not get there, right? Like, it's just, you don't have to do that. Or you just don't have to do that. That's the thing. You know, it, it, the, also, this deck is progressively weaker by mulliganing. This is like a pretty bad deck. Like, it's not a blue deck. It doesn't replace itself, right? The blue Phoenix decks, like, they can get back up because they're cantropy stuff replaces itself right this deck has got gut shot and faithless looting to set up the yeah. to set up the game those cards don't repl- they're just down you're just down and down like gut shot is a pretty bad card if you're not doing something exciting with it right. but he's, got, he's, got four, he's got four of them and three lava darts i mean like those cards are exceptionally bad in a fair game of magic right they are ex- obviously he did not think he was going to be playing fair game no of no magic. they are exceptionally exceptional if you if I pick my seven cards, this might be the deck I would play. Right? <laughs> All right, guys, everyone picks their seven cards. Yes, you kind of get to pick your seven cards in modern right now. No, but more on that when we discuss the winning. But deck. the thing Let's... is, the hard mulligans are really bad for this, right? Sure. Like blue white, you can hard mulligan into like something like you have a single card that costs two mana that wipes out the yeah, opponent's entire like, oh, strategy. Open deck list. Let me get my rest in peace. I mean, yeah, awesome. Probably not going to lose. You know, like <laughs> you know. Or, Whatever, like, I'm just going to make up words, like a warmth or a chill, or you know, they always have some kind of permanence like yeah, this, yeah. right? Or, a, you know, turn off all artifacts, make it so nobody can attack. <laughs> you know, they've got all kinds of nonsense like this. This deck has just got, like, fair cards that if you put them together in a certain way, feel very unfair. <laughs> um, man, three lava guards. Remember, we were talking about it. I didn't even think it was playable. But it's good. You can trigger Phoenix with it. It's right. true. But you can't even recoup lands. Like it's, uh, I'm gritting my teeth. So what does he got in the sideboard for the graveyard? Three, Three Tormod's Crypt. Ravenous Trap. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't see the Ravenous Trap. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so we're like, I mean, with the exception of uh, Paintbrush Mustache, yeah. We're like on four a deck, right? right. It's a more than four a deck if you're... Paper's mustache had two and two. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, these guys are most... Some are like, six, right? I mean, even if you're going to discount, you got six. So Thorolf Severin, is he the winner of this he tournament? He is the winner of the this winner tournament. The winner of this tournament uh, had four Leyland of the Void in the sideboard also. So it's another four spot. Zhang, Zhang... With Hund, Hund. I mean, the thing about the thing that's worth just mentioning about like just the Tron deck in general is even if they like game one, like Forkhorn liberated, you can actually kind of race a Hogak. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like turn two Hogak. You're like Tron land, Karn, exile Hogak. Let's go. I mean, yeah. you might be dead to the 
materials it leaves behind, you know, the process not. of getting there. Probably but I, I don't think so. Without bridge, I don't think it's as bad. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't like this kind of deck. I feel like I, I don't always lose to Tron, only when it matters. <laughs> if, sure. it's, if it's a regular match, um, I usually like By the it. way, this is also, this is mono green Tron, right? Like, so yeah, this he's is... He's got Leyline of the Wood inside. Yeah. Can't cast no, it. No, he has, some, he has he some chromatic stuff. He can cast it. He's got seven chromatics. Chromatic stuff. Yeah. All right. Hey, by the way, also, anyway, we didn't, you know, you talked about the ley lines, but three relic of projectiveness main. So this is a sevener. Oh. And those those three in the main were counting triple, according to the previous <laughs> like Nineteen, I don't know whatever whatever that number adds up to. All right, so Zhang Zhang, uh, another Jund deck. Liliana, Ren, only three Ren and six in the main deck. Three Ren and six and two Dark Confidant. Like listening to the Jund players talk, Logan Nettles did a deck tech over the weekend, and he said, you know, that he the only complaint he had about Ren and six is that it meant he wasn't going to be playing his Dark Confidants, like. Ren and Six, like, kind of trumps, like, sits in the spot of Dark yeah. Confidant in the deck and also means you can't really play Dark Confidant if you expect a lot of Ren and Six since it's so cheap yeah. for them to kill Dark Confidant. Uh, what do you think about Ren and Six in Burn? So your Green Splash instead of Black Splash? I like it. It's hot. I, I think, I think it's, it's kinda, pretty good. Yeah. Maybe I should invest in some before it's a $200 card. Yeah, I, I might be getting some tonight. All right, so there's Seasoned Pyromancer. I think that card's pretty good. Um, Bloodbraid Elf times four in this deck. Uh, you, who knows what it would turn over? Probably can't turn over Leyline of the Void. No, that can't no. happen. But it could turn over uh, one of the three main deck scavenging oozes. Yeah, which are effective against the Hogak deck. Let's look at the sideboard. He's got two Leyline of the Void only, but three Nihil Spellbomb. So he's like a fiver in addition to having some main deck anti graveyard. Uh, I think it's not fair to say that Hogak. Ever, you said like the eight and twos are better. Hogak made up more than half in this top eight. In an incredibly hostile field, every deck in this top eight was like minimum four anti Hogak side. Keep keep in mind these these decks in this top eight. A lot of them are in that eight and two or better record, right? These are included in that. Oh, okay. It doesn't exclude these decks. I'm just saying, look, you can cut the data a couple of different ways. The way I'm choosing to say is like. Like how many? And this is less a respect thing than a, than just a right. predictions thing. Like these people aren't like oh, there's like one storm life gain card. Like who's playing like leyline of sanctity? Who's playing? Um, you know look, what's a shatterstorm? That's like, people aren't playing like fracturing gust. People yeah. aren't playing uh, cards that that attack other linear strategies. Right? There's not even like anger of the gods in these sideboards. <laughs> right? Like for humans. Like right. humans won the previous, the previous. Uh, is it called a mythic championship? You can call no. it a pro tour. No so, one cares. No one listens. You can call it a pro tour. <laughs> no, no. You see what I'm saying? Like, there's not anger of the gods, right? There's not cards that are like good against other linear strategies. Yeah. People are largely. Playing... I mean, there was there was one humans deck in the top twenty, you know, finishers based on record. I'm just saying, like, look. If you look at these sideboards, they're mostly flexible tuning sideboard cards. Yep. And then anti graveyard cards. <laughs> that is very like. Like, oh, Shrine of Burning Rage in the sideboard of my Mono Red Phoenix deck. Weird. Why would I ever bring that in? I guess it kills Core Firewalker, right? Right. Okay. I can kind of live with that. Um, I mean, I wouldn't want to, but <clears throat> I guess I could. All right. So let me ask you a question. So yeah. looking at this, you know, this eight and two or better deck lists, right? Uh, <clears throat> 
uh, 20 players, but like, you know, the names of the people playing Hogak just at the top of the list. Corey Baumeister. Corey Baumeister. Paulo Vitor Damodorosa. Reed Duke. That was a betrayal that was widely publicized on, uh, on Twitter, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a black and green deck. Yeah. I don't see why that's really that much of a betrayal. Um, I'm trying to find some of the more, it, you know, Mar- Martin Mueller, right? Someone who's, you know, people who are on KMC Genesis and Channel Fireball and Ultimate Guard, right? Like three of the, the biggest groups of players. Now, imagine for a second that this tournament, you get these same, like, let's call it 24, you know, top level pros all find the Hogak deck. But it's two weeks after, you know, this is like classic old Pro Tour. It's a Pro Tour, not a Mythic Championship. Mm. And it's two weeks after the release of Modern Horizons. And it's the first real weekend that Modern Horizons is legal. Yeah. And these 24 players show up to this modern tournament as basically one of the, say, maybe 50 people. You think it's like a Cobblade situation? I, I think... I it's think, just eight Hogaks in the top eight? I think it's like six Hogaks in the top eight. Oh, like an LSVL situation? Yeah, I just think it's insane. Right? Like, I like that. I like that better than this. Well, you would rather see that. I would rather see yeah, that yeah. as well, right? I would rather have the excitement of like Hogak as opposed to the month and a half of existential dread of Hogak. Well, also, it's exciting. The, the story is like, look at these. I don't know if you remember way back. I, there was a Pro Tour Chicago where uh, Kai won. Yeah. It was not, you know, because yeah. Kai won. It was, it was extended. Kai won with the Blue Red Donate deck. But there were three members uh, of Team Your Move Games in the top eight, all with Mono Black Reanimator decks. I believe it was called the Benzo deck, right? Yeah. I believe all three. Benzo Reanimator, yeah. All three are currently in the Hall of Fame. Yes. Right? All three are Pro Tour champions. Yes. Right? Arm and arm. All right. All, so they all made it. And the narrative on day one was like, oh, man, look at how smart some players are. They have figured out to exploit this new card in Tomb, right? That's pretty cool. It was it, right, right? You're right. That so was the narrative. Made, and, and it was there, like a card that people didn't yeah. think it was necessarily and very different good. players are doing it. I think this was the one where, like... Um, is this the one where Bob comes back and he plays the and he plays the combo reanimator deck? Angry Hermit. No, Angry Hermit was. Was that the next year? I think that was the next year. I think that was New so, Orleans. So, but the the thing was, Team CMU. Because there were a couple of really good teams in the United States. So, like Team Dead Guy was on the down, was on the down swing at this point, right? But it was like Team CMU was like a really good team, and Team Your Move Games was a really good team, and these guys were Team Your Move Games. Team CMU also had come up. With a, with a graveyard based deck. And they figured out a deck that was based around zombie infestation. And then they did cool things. Like they had Death Spark and they could keep buying back Death Spark for free. And if you didn't know how to deal with it, like you didn't have the cards to deal with this, Andrew Cunio was going to play you like a Sonata. Yeah. And that was. He was going to play you like the guitar he bought yeah. when he won the Pro Tour Team Series last right, year. Right. So, like, it, that's, you watch Andrew Cunio and he's doing a cool thing in a cool way with cool new cards and he's making chumps who did not know about Entomb look silly, right? So here's the beauty of this, right? Great team, great, interesting, cool graveyard deck. Great team, great, consistent, cool graveyard deck. On day two, Andrew Cunio gets his hand, his, his ass handed to him by your games. He says, we got something right. We figured this stuff out. They got something better. They knew we were coming. <laughs> right? Like, that is a pro-tour narrative. Right. Right? Here are the greats 
The greats are better than the average player. The greats are the people who are worth watching. And when the greats fight, the better prepared greats win. I got to tell you, I think Andrew Crudio is probably a better technical player than at least some of the, of the top performing players who were benzo pilots, right? But they were, you know, like Mike Turian, Pro Tour Hall of Famer, might be the best beatdown player of all time. Can't win on day two because the YMG guys were one step ahead. So, like, you're two steps ahead, right? That is so cool. I mean, no one beats Kai. <laughs> you're not Brad Nelson. Brad Nelson probably wasn't born yet. It was right. only 2000. That's true. You're not Brad Nelson. You're not being Kai on, on, uh, on, on day three. That's okay. That's also a great story. But that's an amazing narrative. Do you remember, I want to say 2000. I, well, you, you mentioned Berlin and Alex, yeah. right? You said Luis. Uh, so I remember getting to, we got to Berlin, and I got there the day before the Pro Tour. I don't remember why I was delayed getting there, but I got there so the, the night before the Pro Tour started. Yeah. And again, deck lists weren't handed in two yeah. days in advance. They were handed in round one. If you were Dave Williams, you brought two decks and two deck lists. You look across the table, decide who you think you're playing. That's the deck list you hand in. Perfectly reasonable. It was legal. Yes. Legal's good enough. Um, but so, I, you know, there's the player party. Player party's at some nightclub in Berlin. It's Uh-oh. impossible to get into. Uh-oh. But we, we go in and everybody, I walk in. And I, now, I haven't been there. So I'm like fresh meat in the water because everyone's coming up to me. They're like, hey, BDM, don't come over here. I don't want anyone else to hear me. Do you have any clips of nature? <laughs> like, uh, I, don't, I don't really have that many cards with me, but uh, I, as many, I, my team needs, we can, don't tell anyone, but the elf deck is really good. I'm like, okay, uh, I don't have any clubs of nature. I, I, I'm sorry, man. Move on. Next person. You know, then yeah. some, some Japanese team. BDM, do you have any clips of nature? Don't tell anyone. And like 10 different people that day, that, that night, we're looking for glimpse of nature. This is the night before the Pro Tour. Like, everyone just switched in yeah. Moss. Oh, I mean, but that was a good switch. That was a good, that was a good switch. So I, I remember I made that um, mono blue Spire Golem deck that Coimbra played, and the two decks I thought we were going to play against were all in red and Oh, I uh, remember that deck. And That's Zoo, right? right? So uh, the two days before the Pro Tour, Andre said, uh, he's just like, look, man, this deck crushes Zoo, and this deck crushes, uh, crushes all in red. Like, I think we got the right thing. But I think people are going to play elves. Do you think we should have, like, even any sideboard cards against elves, right? And so it would have been relatively easy because we had, we had um, Talaria West. So yeah. we got, like, we could have just fit in our 75, right? Like, a chalice to stop their comboing and, mm. like, an ex- engineered explosive to kill the stuff on the ground. I'm like, elves. This sounds like poppycock, right? So, <laughs> I was well. You know what's so funny is one of the reasons I was pretty dismissive of the deck, yeah, because the previous event that whatever format was that that was extended or was that moderate that was extended, right? The elves. Deck? It was extended. Yeah, yeah, it was extended. The previous extended event, Steve Saden had built the Glimpse of Nature Elves deck. But not like a great version. And well, it just didn't have all the tools. I don't remember which. Well, it was just new cards. Yeah, like, there, was there was like new, a new elf. Combo. Yeah, there was a new elf combo. A new piece, well, some new pieces. Well, Elvish Visionary might have gotten printed. It may, it may have yeah. been Elvish Visionary. It might have even been. Yeah, it might have been Elvish. But whatever it was, the deck wasn't quite good enough. Yeah. You know, and so 
Or maybe Heritage Druid got printed. I think it might have been Heritage Druid. Well, whatever. Yeah, he was doing all Nettle Sentinel, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was just a little slower. Or maybe it was Nettle Sentinel that got printed. Whatever. Yeah, so... Doesn't matter. It's funny because... Not the point. Because in my recollection, and last round of day one, Andre's playing against LSV. So you can see how good his record must have been. Yeah. And so LSV destroys him, right? Yeah. And he calls me up and he's just like, he didn't play a second land in either game. <laughs> I'm like, he... Hold back counters, win game two. He's like, he didn't even combo off in game two. Played an Alpha Cast to Jide, and then he killed me with it. So, <laughs> like, you know, we have no cards. That Jide was very good to him, by the way. We have no cards for this deck. And I'm like, dude, all you, he's like, all I did was raffle stomp zoo decks all day. Great, right? It's like, I'm pretty sure day two is going to be all elves. <laughs> and I'm like, not enough people played elves. Enough people played yeah, elves. Yeah. And he still played my and, deck. And, and honestly, I think. Way more people would have played if, like, if you could have mir- miraculously parachuted into Berlin yeah. with a box full of glimpse of nature's nettle sentinels. You, I don't even know what percentage of the field would have played that. Mono blue is the best deck. I mean, maybe not the version that I made, but the Tezzeret deck in the top eight. When, was, when did you ever build a good deck for Andre Quaver? Get the he, hell out of he here. He won a different Pro Tour like <laughs> a year later. No, no, I actually think so because the Tezzerator deck, right? Right. Was, that deck had all the answers for Elves, which I right. thought was good. And I think so. That might have been. I think like Tezzeret itself was more broken than any of the cards that like we just had a good deck, right? right. But like we had stuff like Cryptic Command. That that's a good card you can have. You know, I don't know. Elves is obviously a deck you should have prepared for. If you, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't know how much I, I, that narrative is not bad because if you look at that top eight, you have LSV, who's a strong contender for greatest Magic player of all time. Yeah. Strong contender, right? Yeah, yeah. That Tomohiro Saito, right? A guy who's a contender for one of the top deck designers of all time and in other universes would be a Hall of Famer and sure. thought of in, in a certain, like, that was a heck of a top eight. Oh, yeah. Really, really fantastic players. Um, LSV's deck was demonstrably different. You know, he was a little bit, look, it's half a turn faster. What, what I think is fascinating, right, is all these elf decks and they all had some different quality to yeah. them right like they all looked like slightly different yeah i think you, you get a little bit of that in the if you look through the top 20 finish decks from the constructed portion of this mythic championship there's a couple different flavors of the hogak decks right there's people playing hedron crab um i liked i talked to sam black today and he was talking about how he played he, he and his team played the green force right because they were prepared for you know, people having ley lines and even multiple ley lines. Yeah. And they had the Green Force and, in fact, altered their deck slightly to include Lotleth Troll so that they could get more green cards into their deck to actually pitch to That's a cute. force. Which is kind of kind of interesting. It's cute. But I'm saying there were a lot of different flavors. Did you read, did you read Sam's tweet about transitioning? No. It was, a, it was, a, yeah, it was a, it's a little sad. He was saying... Oh, yes, yeah. yes, I did. I did. Um, so he was saying, like... Uh, if the future of magic is streaming, streaming is something you do alone. I, I do magic to not be alone. Right. And I was just like, hey, I, like that was like, it, let's, I, let's I just this. understood this to my core, right? Like that's the thing, like that's such a good, argument's the wrong word, right? right? Like here's an experience, he's just like, this is a person who's been widely celebrated in coverage, has been, has made a huge name for himself over From the course of the last... before he was even on the Pro Tour. 10, 12 years, right? As a... 2007 Worlds, he won the car. He wasn't even on... He hadn't even played the Pro he Tour yet. He hadn't even yet. played on the Pro Tour yet. Right? So, like, 
as somebody who like carved out a place for himself with a cool deck, right? Like every and every stop along the way cool always deck. has a cool deck, right? And he even has. I think that he's contributed some important pieces of theory, right? And so, uh, and probably at some time or another, arguably been in the best deck designer in the world at some point or another. I don't know when exactly when. I mean, I've sure. I got back on the Pro Tour and I just played a deck that Sam made, right? Like, what? <laughs> we're talking to Sam, yeah. and we're talking about like this idea where I was talking to someone from Scryfall about making uh, like Scryfall into like flick chart. So you just have a thing on your phone where you're just like, which card do you like better? Yeah. And, but when it's all done, you have like 10,000 cards ranked one to 10,000. Yeah. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. So anyway, and Sam was like, I don't know that I could ever do that. Like, he's like, how would I know on which day, which one I prefer? <laughs> Jace Bellerin or Doom Traveler? Like, my answer would be different every day. It's always Chase Beller. <laughs> no, not for Sam. For me. <laughs> Doom Tra- Are you kidding? Doom Traveler. What? That's, that's, but that's just, a, I think that that's an Doom insight Traveler. into how Sam's brain works. Doom Traveler is like somebody who has, they don't Sam even- conjured up his two favorite magic cards to put them into the arena against each other. It doesn't matter. And he came up with Jace Bellerin and Doomed Traveler and could not come up with an answer. Doom Traveler is somebody with an iPhone, okay? Not even, not even a boombox, okay? An iPhone, they crank it up and they play it next to their ear as they walk down the street. That's Doom Traveler. Yeah, it has an impact to the people around you. Yeah, it says something about you if you're an iPhone-wielding fake boombox Doom Traveler. Traveler. Does That's it, a Doom Traveler. Does it have the little, does it have the little boombox graphic? On the phone? No. What? No. What? You're going to go through all that effort? You don't even get the little boombox graphic? We're talking Doom Traveler right now, right? This isn't... This isn't Chase Bellerin. Boom Traveler. Write it up. Boom Traveler. <laughs> Boom Traveler. <laughs> Done. Anyway, so Sam said, look, he, he, hopefully he's going he's gonna to be more... Uh, I'm going to put this in air quotes. You don't see where I'm putting air Valued as a, as a contributor to the research and development team. Right. right. So it, it, I felt set because he's like, he's, like, sad, I, no, that was, I, he's like an institution of Magic the Gathering right, right. now. It, 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 it was a really sad post. I think that one of the things that, like, you know, like the undertow of everything that was going on, it was a cool weekend, right? It was a cool, it was a cool tournament. Um, the drafts were cool. The decks were interesting, even if it was Hogak dominated, right? There was this undertow to everything, which was just this overwhelming sadness of just not knowing if Richmond is going to be the last big event. Big event of the types that we've grown up with, right? I I saw a video interview with Mark Rosewater last week. So just to give you yeah. an idea, so um, and he was saying no asterisks. Full stop. These last three sets have been the best sets they've ever had. They've never sold as many Magic cards as they're right. selling right now. Clearly, they are doing something right from a corporate standpoint. When that's happening, they are highly unlikely to change course. Right? Well, what, is, what, is not, what does that mean? Highly unlikely to change course means all arena... Would, would no, mean- no, no. That means if you see a trajectory of the thing that you love... <laughs> oh, going- okay. Down into the right. And the arena going up into the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're unlikely to change that course, right? They're going to... So I, I, I had dinner with Aaron uh, a couple weeks yeah. ago. I, I didn't, I didn't, 
It was, I would have gotten out the. I would have actually done a like instant pop up podcast yeah. with him, but he was with his family, so it yeah. felt like inappropriate. Uh, but he was he was pretty staunch in his support for paper magic and for paper magic tournaments and for high level paper magic competition. I mean, let's let's unpack that for a second. Aaron was for a relatively brief period of time, right? So I'd say. 1999 to 2003 pretty solid competitive magic player right so he has a yeah he's got two pro tour top eights and he's got a nationals, nationals team, team outstanding deck designer yep. this is a short window right? yeah so and, 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 a, and a content creator right like was instantly one of the most popular writers no, about magic no no his no wife was one of the most popular writers about so, magic so he's i mean i don't even I don't even consider a lot of these kids who are grinding Star City events. Right? They're not my. That's not my tribe. That's not my. Like he's he's from the same blood as me. Sure. Right. We're both Ohio Valley guys. Right. I I went to his. Actually, neither of us went to that school. Right. So he didn't actually. He went to University of Pittsburgh. I think. But he he would hang out at CMU. I went to CMU to practice for pro tours with him. Right. Right. So. But like he's also he's been on the other side of the fence for fifteen years now. Right. right. So, you know, his, his allegiance has got to be to the long-term longevity of Magic from a corporate standpoint. And his, his saying, like, oh, we should have paper magic terms, I agree, right? But you have to think about it like this. The evolution of what it means to be a professional Magic player is far different, not today, right? Like, two, three years ago, relative to when Aaron was a professional Magic player. If he has the same amount of support as when he was a professional Magic player, that's a dramatic lifestyle change for people who used to be platinum, right? Right. Like there wasn't enough. The reason that guys like Eric, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah Eric, Aaron, Randy, Worth, Turn Mike, in. went and became R and D guys is because the level of performance. And Randy Bueller's heck of a professional magic player, right? For, I, I think like I think people don't realize how good a magic player like, was. Me and you both realize. Yeah, right? but I so, mean, I think the general public, I think there's this kind of like, oh, he only had that one top eight. Yes, he know. won, whatever. So, I but. mean, his his level of dominance for his period, and I, I say this with no amount of irony, and in the most flattering terms for both players, is very Brad Nelson-like, I would say. Sure. So, Brad Nelson, peak Brad Nelson-like. Yeah. Right, so. He was top 16 of every other tournament he played. He was... So I, I this isn't the, ahead, yeah, this isn't a Randy Bueller digression podcast. Yeah. What I'm saying is like the reason all Although those. Although that's a good name for an episode. Like, Randy, Eric, Eric. I mean, like, all went to go work at Watsy. Right. Was because there wasn't the same kind of support for quote platinum level players back then, right? So this was a better way for them to make uh, a living, a good living. You know, surrounding themselves with magic twenty four seven. Right. And so, if his point of view is this is how much support top level play got in two thousand and two, right? That would be a step down for what top level players have been accustomed to and earning. Let's say in the early half of the two thousand and tens. So like, you know, two thousand. Think about a two thousand and fourteen or two thousand and fifteen era pro tour champion, like. Somebody on the order of like, uh, you know, Paul Rietzel or Patrick Chapin at, at, at this point in their sure. careers, right? You're like paid to show up to every event. They fly you to every event. 
They put you up in a hotel at every event. You, you get paid okay. to show up at Grand Prix. Everything we've had since then is a, it's a step down from that, right? Sure. So it depends what, it depends what and, and you're, Look, there's five pros a year. It, it, is, it is very clear that Watsi <clears throat> has shifted their, what they perceive to be the value of where they spend their money on players is certainly shifted. I wouldn't say it's shifted away from Platinums because clearly the Platinums are getting paid a lot of money this year. As, but as streamers. But as MPL members, yes. But like certainly gold and silver does not hold the same allure to them so, that, it, that it once did, which is where I think a lot of the ennui about the Pro Tour comes from right now is because that dream of stringing together silver invites Getting to gold and being like, oh, I just missed it. I don't know if I can afford to go if I'm only if I'm only gold and not platinum. I'm going to all of them, you know. And, Actually, I'd like to talk about that for a second. I and I, but I, I'm saying, and I think they've shifted where they want to spend that money to people who are actively broadcasting um, their enjoyment and love of this of the brand to a wider audience. So I'll tell you this on a daily basis. I, and by no means like a twitch.tv crack addict, right? Sure. But I log in a couple of times a month, okay? Okay. To watch Twitch streams. I always 100% go for constructed, right? So I, I'm not interested in watching, uh, yes, uh, in watching um, uh, Limited Magic on Arena. That's not, that's not my jam. But I always log in and one of the things that I had going on in my head before, I think as part of conversations that you and I have had over however many years, is like, what if I streamed, right? Like, right. Was even if, so one, I go and look, and there's a bazillion people streaming at any given time, right? Sure. And most of them have very few viewers. You would probably have more than them. That's not my, that's not the bar, oh, okay. right? So I, but the thing is like, I don't think I'd be a very good prototypical streamer. Like I'd be, I'd like stream like between one and three hours a week and I'd never not stream mono red. <laughs> no, 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 that'd be my brand. Well, like, that's fine. Show up when you want. I'm going to show you how to build the best mono red deck. Don't listen to anybody else. They're always wrong. This is how you do it. Right. And like that, that, that would be my brand. Even if I were wrong, that's what I would say. Okay. <laughs> but this, I, I've thought about this a lot. So that's, that's beside the point. The thing that I'm concerned about is the wrong word, right? It, I, I don't. I don't mean this to be insulting to anybody, but there has to be a realignment of what you were talking about with regards to like the Platinums, MPL members, streamers, etc. Because I'm not sure who is getting what out of anything. Sure. A lot of the top players are grumbling as they stream, right? And the thing that is super bugging to me, like I remember one day I was actually, I went to go watch Yellow Hat, right? Yellow yeah. Hat, that's a player who I know who that is. He's streaming Moto, not even streaming Arena, okay? Right. Great, whatever. I watch a little yellow hat. But the thing is, like, consistently, MTG Goldfish, Gabby, and Frank Lepore are outpacing the MPL players, like, three to one, five to one in viewership. So, the, so, I'm, not, so I'm not saying... But it's partially because they... Not, to, not to diminishing any of the content, but I'm saying part of it is because... They're so dedicated to what they do. I'm, so I, that doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Right? What matters to me is if you have a strategy and your strategy is I'm going to celebratize, let's quote the Platinums as streamers in the MPL. Okay. Somebody somewhere has to be looking at something, right, 
to say this is a good idea. Right. If am, if I'm no, if amateur level players who are just just dedicated just do a great job are pacing them, it's hard to justify the existence of this tier. That's what I'm saying. Right? Uh, but but that's not good business sense. Sure. And there's somebody who doesn't love competitive magic who signs the checks at some point. That's how it is in every business. If it was just you, you know, we're friends with a lot of the same people. We're friends with Worth or getting some stuff to to keep going over the, so it's a struggle that we people who don't live in Renton, Washington don't know about, right? right? And people take some stuff for granted. There have been champions on the other side of the wall who have kept the stuff that we love alive for a long time. And I'm telling you, there's no way, there's, they're gonna look at this and they're gonna say, so-and-so who I don't pay $75,000 a year is gonna do this anyway and they do a better job. We should probably let them. That's not a good sign for people who want to make magic their lifestyle, sure. in my opinion. Sure. But you, you don't think, so, you, so if you're betting right now, you're, you're betting that there's how many Pro Tours after, pro to, after Richmond? I don't. So Richmond's the next Pro Tour. How many Pro Tours are you willing to, if I set the over-under at five? Over. Like, of all time. Over. Okay, okay. No way they're canceling them all next okay. year. All right, so I don't well, think. Well, five, five is more than one year. Let me tell you, that's how these things Remember come. Remember I was talking about 2004, 2006? <laughs> there was like five Pro Tours a year at that point. And Worlds. Okay, this is the thing I think. Magic is special, or this used to be special in a certain way, right? You and I used to chat about this, just like, I could have never, me, me, Michael Flores, could have never come up and existed in almost any other discipline that ever existed in, in media and whatever, where like, I wasn't even good. At, yeah, right, I was never like a platinum level player, right? But I was a top compensated content provider, right? Like people who were just like intelligent and cared and passionate and articulate like yourself, you were not distinguished as a great player, but you are among the most respected people in the community. That's a carve out that exists in magic. That kind of role does it. Like if so you're, wait a minute, I actually, if you're a great just... chess player, you get to be the commentator of a so, great chess player because you're a chess champion. So, so what you've just said, right, you know, is that Frank and Gabby and whoever else you mentioned, they deserve that, that they're just the next generation of people doing what we were doing. So, well, no, I don't even, I just look at myself for a second. Right, right so, but, but yes or no, right? Like, no, I, I don't you don't, think you don't see You don't see no, an exact I don't parallel see there? No, let me step back for a second. Okay. A, um... I used to not even joke, right? Like I would have loved to do a Grand Prix or three or like done like a final day at a Pro Tour with you, right? Like I think that me and you doing doing uh, a standard constructed Grand Prix commentary would be wildly successful, right? Like I've seen a bunch of the back end stats. Like I, I think that that would be wildly successful in a way that would flabbergast people who don't know the history of like going back for, for, for a few years. And I would just do it because it's fun, right? right. Well, so, I, I see, that's to me, that's the only match. I'm like, man, that would be fun. We no, no, that, that would be fun, right? Right. So like, I mean, I did the last Grand Prix I did, I mean, they definitely should have not picked me anymore. They put me on a limit. I knew it was going to be bad, right? Yeah. Like, no, we really want you to be Limited's big... always harder and worse than people but think I'm it's going to be. But I'm not good at it. I know, but I'm just saying, I people, it's always that, harder than I'm people like, think it is too. I'm like, 
choose any other event, I'm not going to do a good job. And I'm like, you're giving me a week to learn the cards. I have a whole other, you know, I'm not, I can't dedicate enough of this. And I'm like, no, you're going to do great. I didn't do great. I knew I was going to do great. <laughs> I did two rounds with Patrick. The rounds I did with Patrick were fantastic, right? Like, we, you know, he keeps me, he ribs me just enough, right? Like, he keeps me on, like, on, the, on the road. All the shortcomings that I have, he covers up because he, he can anticipate that stuff correctly, sure. right? You do the same thing on my sure. shortcomings, I mean, right? That's, so, that's- that, so, I mean, I've, I've done many a GP with one week's prep time yep. with Marshall. And, you know, we, you know, there's definitely, well, they, they knew most of the card games. I'm like, I think we both knew most of half the card games. And then we, <laughs> and we each got the other half for so the like, other person. I, mean, I just feel like, I understand the strategy of what's going on. And the, the chat is blowing up because I mispronounced some 14 yeah, well, yeah. syllable words. It doesn't matter, right? That part doesn't matter to me. What I'm saying is like, I have more, I mean, I, I'm, I, personally I'm, I'm operating at a lower scale than I once was. I used to write like multiple columns a week, including at, at the mothership. But I mean like, I have, I'm still writing some and I'm, I actually have more magic writing opportunities that, that, that are coming. And I'm like, oh, I'm probably gonna take some of them. Like I, I think that like, to the degree of the stuff that I've always done, that's not gonna change so much. But I don't think that that role is important in the ecosystem in the same way it was. Once upon a time, that was a very important role sure. in the ecosystem. Now, like, well, for whatever reason, I don't know why it's not. But, like, people just watch a bunch of streams. And the thing that gets me about this is these streams have, like, large viewership. Hundreds, even thousands of people are watching. And people are, like, losing games on camera that they certainly could have won, never have the self-reflection to understand why, and no one watching seems to have the under. And I'm just like, you literally just thought uh, thought erased the wrong card on turn three. If you, just, I'm like, hey, I, I don't I, even I, know I, how I, you make this assessment. I, like, I, if I, you I, took the correct card, the game would have progressed this way, and it is never realized. I was I was shocked how many non vigilant uh, venge vines I saw this weekend coming from the pro tour. Non vigilant. Well, in the sense that like. There's a carrion feeder in play. You have mm. a vengevine in your yard, you like in and you and, and you know you're gonna like bring it back post combat to as a blocker or yeah. something like that. And it's like they you just, have a free attack they just never with the, the other vengevine. Yeah. Like either you get in for four or you trade with something and then you sack it to carrion feeder and then you get it back so, and you can reset it. Like that's perfectly reasonable. So I've watched a lot of Star City coverage over the years, right? Yeah. So. I held nothing against the Star City players when they play bad, even late in the tournament, right? I have learned... Well, especially late in the tournament. No, I have learned... No, no, people late in the tournament are the ones about to make top eight. Those ones you expect to be good. That's No, me. but you also... You're tired. I don't... You, you, gotta, you have to allow for people to be just, like, nervous, tired. Brian, I'm telling you, I'm not holding anything against okay. them. Even All right. I learned so it much. It sounded like you. No, no. I learned so much. I watched... I think it was... There was like two big names. I think it was Ali Antrazi against um, Alex Bertoncini. I actually wrote a chapter of a book about this. Yeah. This play that Ali made, which is the same play I would have made. Ali doesn't have a land in hand, and he has uh, and he has not made his land drop yet, but he has like seven land in play. He preordains for a land, plays the land, and then loses a few turns later. If Ali just uses the preordain post-combat in order to just make his next two draws good... He will handily beat Bertoncini instead of Bertoncini having a very slight win, which is what ended up happening. Right. And I was just like, oh, shoot. 
I would have made, I think I would have made the same play Ollie did because he didn't make his land drop yet. And he's just like, oh, I'm a big, like, I have a big engine or like I'm a control. I need to spread all my lands out, right? But he had enough lands. He didn't have a, he didn't have the maximally comfortable number of lands, right? But he could have just won the game, right? Like, what if he just puts a counterspell on top or whatever and then, you know, he's on, he's on the Sago rap. I learned from that. Um, and I don't, I don't rem- I think that there was like a, some context that I learned from it other than just watching him lose, okay? I don't hold that against those people. Most of the people in the Star City events are amateurs, right? They show up to play in, most of them are showing up to play in a local event. Some of them are like career grinders on Star City, but not most of them, right? And when they do well, they get thrown into the fray, right? Sure. The fray includes a camera on them and you can be nervous, right? For me, uh, I, I'm, I try to be really self-reflective about this because all I ever did was lose win and ins, right? When I, was on, when I played on the Star City Tour, lost every win and in. I was like, I played real well all day. Now's the time I choose to get mana screwed. And I look back and I'm like, I did not play that match bad. This is the best round. You get unlucky, I got unlucky on camera. Yeah. So the, the lesson though is I go back, I, I don't hold that against them at all, right? Somebody's gonna win. When you're watching the streamer, a streamer of Magic Arena is playing a first-person shooter, right? They are a one-dimensional first-person shooter. It's only because you could look up somebody's handle on the other side that they're not playing as a bot. Do you think about it? Sure, yes. For that player who's accumulating hundreds or thousands of viewers to not do the service of what they're supposed to be doing, I feel very differently about it. Like, that... Act, that act, and this is an act of self-celebration, right? Like, I'm a streamer, I expect you to watch me. There's, there's ego bundled up in this that's different from somebody who's forced to be on camera, right? There are a ton of people who are very good Magic players who they never played on camera, they would be happy. Yeah. They just wanna, inter- they just wanna think about the game, interact with the game and challenge themselves, right? But if you're a streamer, that's not your process. I think that, that those players in that, in that category they're obviously doing something that's different than was done in years past. I think they owe an obligation to the viewers. And if that is the category of player who is gonna take over for the theorists and for the pros, there has to be something better than what we have right now. Or both this pro structure and the content structure will break down. You need geniuses at some, at some tier. If you're gonna not pay any of the geniuses to play, and you're not gonna pay any of the geniuses to write, then we lose everything. Um, all right, there's a lot to unpack there. So I think we're in a new phase of magic right now in terms of where we are, in terms of who you're making content for. I think you are still making content that you're going to see Josh Ravitz the next day. Ravitz, that was a good article, right? Good stuff, right? Or that you and I are going to go deep on talking about some kind of arcane piece of magic theory and whether or not, you know, there's some, some, some area we can still explore and, and, and talk about, right? And, and that's, not, that's not the audience right now for magic content. That is not the audience for magic content right now. Magic is in a huge, huge acquisition cycle because of Arena because we're gonna have a cartoon that's gonna be on Netflix, because uh, Hasbro is gonna come out of beta for Arena and just go into some massive user acquisition spend, right? Um, we're, we're in, I mean, user acquisition has a very specific meaning in free-to-play games and, and mobile games and all that, but I mean, also 
we're in this user acquisition, not retention phase of magic. And a lot of what you're talking about is user retention content. And that still needs to be there and there'll always be an audience for it. But the, the, the bigger uh, swath of people who are gonna be consuming magic content and who are gonna also be spending money at the sites that pay for magic content uh, are gonna be newer players. So I used to think of myself, you're like, well, who's your target audience, right? I would just say PTQ player, right? right. Someone who aspires to be on the Pro Tour. So I, th- see, I, mean, I really, what you thought you were going to say is someone who aspires to spend as little money on Magic cards as possible. I spent four I digits know. on singles yeah, last yeah. season, right? So, like, I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible customer. I don't give Watsi any money. Sure, right? I mean, let's you count tournament entries. That goes to I play tournament entries every week, and I buy, I only buy singles, right? So, um, I, so they, I guess they get money at some point. But some pack had to get cracked to produce my single, right? But um, I, I would say now, if I had a sole area of focus in terms of a, a target reader, I think like FNM player. And for me, the reason is like- I think FNM player is, is a good- Is, is that good. like, first of all, there's way more FNM players, right? And I think the FNM players care more, right? The PTQ players think of themselves in a certain way. P- PTQ, PTQ players are- you know, so much further down the line of this process of magic. You know what I mean? They, they, you want, once you're a PTQ player and you know, like, like, look at it this way. If you can figure out where the fuck a PTQ is to go to it, you are a pretty sophisticated user of magic and magic content. Okay. Like, if you can figure out that there is a tournament on a given weekend that will qualify you for some tournament on another given weekend, what the format is, where that is, what time it starts, and what you need to do to pre-register, you're good. Pause just a second. I kind of was just like complaining about shit. <laughs> Why is it if I go to your website? My website? No. My used web- to be kind my of- My website used hasn't to been updated of, in a while. Kind of used to be our website, It's right? still our website. No, 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 no. This website I'm talking about kind of <laughs> used to be our website. And I just want to know what the top eight deck lists were. I cannot, within 24 hours, find them. I, and my solution is to Google Mythic Championship IV deck lists. I, and I, I go I to a I, different website. I haven't closed these tabs since Sunday. Because <laughs> I didn't want to lose them. How, like, <laughs> you spend a How is this not a thing that is a link to any content that someone might want to read. Well, that so this it's is so bad. This is what this is the, the thing that does drive me crazy is that there is no text coverage of at least the top eight matches, you know, and that there's no historical record. I understand that there's a historical record in terms of a video, but like, you As know, someone like, who used to write times, those. How many times have you gone back? To old GP coverage, old PT coverage, old SCG coverage, old whatever coverage. When there's text to find out something about a player, to find out something about a deck, to put some card in historical context for an article, for a preview article, for a my piece. Uh, my like, you, personal record in covered uh, pro tour and GP matches, especially when it mattered, when somebody was a reporter at the table, is atrocious. <laughs> it's not zero. It's I. It's, it's in the bottom half of the double digits for sure. I go back all the time to punish myself. <laughs> but more importantly, I go back 
I don't see like, did I miss something, right? right? What did I do wrong? And 95% of the time, I just get angry because the table reporter got it so wrong. Wow. And I, but like, that's like, you know, so, but I go back and I get, yes, to punish myself. Like, I just, I'm mad. Like, that was, that was a Grand Prix top eight I didn't just get, yeah. you know? Like, that kind of stuff. But I, I go back, yeah. I like it. Uh, I, I mean, I go back to the matches that I played, too. I also go back to watch matches that I think were called really well. I love to watch matches that were called really well. And one of the We've things that is most important to me is distilling the important moments in magic where you feel something. I think that, like, the $16,000 Lightning Helix is a great example of viewers feeling something. Uh, Bob, I think, you know, I always come back to this one. Bob against, against um, Brian in that, uh, in that top eight back in 2000. I, I don't think there's ever been a Pro Tour Finals like this. Maybe Chapin against, that wasn't even the Finals, Chapin against the Seif. No, no, it wasn't. Right? Like, yeah, it was the semis. Like the electricity of that match, Bob winning at 05. And he's just like coming out of a to Fairy's puzzle box every single game. He, he like he like that last game. He, he got mulled to five, and then he got his like land wasteland. It was insane that he won that game. Like it was insane that he won that pro tour. Like I'm like who do I want to be in the hall? Of Fame? That's who I want to be in the hall of fame. The man who won the pro tour like that. Did like, you see Bob while he was here? No. He was uh, in town for the Fortnite thing. Oh, was he just hanging out with Dave all week? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, you're seeing Dave tomorrow, right? I am, yeah. Dave invited me to your lunch. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Okay. I, don't, I, have to, I have to go to work. I mean, you could just skip work. I'm pretty busy. So it's funny, you, you know, just just going back to where we started on a little somatic segment. Um, we have uh, one, of our, one of our friends who's left New York, Luis. Yeah. Is going to be in New York for a while. Luis not Vargas. Luis not Vargas. Longtime listeners may recognize the name, uh, and he's like, he's like, oh, I'd really like to draft while I'm there. And so a couple of people said, yeah, let's draft. And then uh, we decided to do something that we like to call uh, DWADD, which is drop work and draft day. It's done on a day during the week, and everybody calls in sick. Or just takes I've a personal... I've never been invited to a drop work and draft day. Yeah, yeah Mike. You're be like, does anybody want to play modern? I've got a modern deck. Anybody <laughs> I, I, want to let me burn them? I always, I'll burn you. I always have a modern deck. <laughs> All the time. Uh, and we, haven't, we, haven't done, we haven't done a drop work and draft, but Luis has come back, so we're like, okay, we're going to do a drop work and draft day. Yeah. Anyway, over the weekend, Paul Jordan is yeah. a little despondent. You know, it's someone who is very much of the same... Vintage of as us in terms of his magic career is despondent about all of the negativity that's going on around among the pros who are on Twitter talking about the pro tour. So he, is he right now is he pro our position or pro Watsi? No, he's pro he's pro our position, right? Okay. Like he's like he's like worried about what's happening with magic. Is worried that he you know just is at a point where he's very concerned. He's like I don't know if I will. You know, is this it? Is this where I stop playing magic? Not because I want to stop playing magic or because I choose to stop playing magic, but because the game and the nature of the game and the marketing of the game has just moved in a different direction that's perpendicular to my life, right? We're no longer on a parallel path. And, uh, and he's pretty despondent. And so, like, we're texting back and forth, you know, uh, just keeping some stuff off an email chain. And, 
I mentioned in passing, like, hey, by the way, you know, Luis is in town on whatever date, and uh, we're going to do a drop work and draft day. And then immediately, you know when you get the little dots? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I get those little dots. And I get the little dots. I'm like, okay. I think he's going to say something. He's going to say something. Ten minutes pass. Fifteen minutes pass. I'm like, oh, I guess he just left the cursor there. Mm. And he's like, nope, nope. Fifteen minutes later, he's like, all right. I've called in sick. (laughs) I've talked to my wife. (laughs) He's like, I'm there. I am there. All day. How early can we start? It's 6 a.m. too early. (laughs) Well, you know, he gets up and runs every day. (laughs) I know, he's going to run through the draft. But, like, to give you an idea, right, like that hunger to to play and to get together with your friends is still right. And you were, of course, invited to such a day. What day is it? I'll tell you off camera. I don't want to, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. I'm leaving the country on Thursday. It's not for a while. Oh, oh, it's, it's in the far future. It's in the it's in the near future, but yes. You want to know? This is my favorite. Where are you going? I'm going to Europe. Oh. Okay. Little, you coming back? Little vacay. I'll be back on the 12th. Okay. Or the 13th. Um. This is my favorite Luis not Vargas story. So like one day I call. It's a Friday. I call up Luis, and I go, "Hey, give me your wife's phone number," and he's like, "Why?" And I'm like, give me your wife's phone number. So he's like, this is a weird request. All right. So I'm like, ring, ring. She picks it up. Strange number. Picks it up. It's like, hello, who's this? I'm like, Liz. Uh, and, um, and, uh, and I'm like, yeah. She's like, yeah, yeah. Who's this? I'm like, Mike Flores. He's like, uh, okay. It's weird. I've never called her. Like, yeah. I'm friends with her husband, not her. I mean, I'm actually friends with her. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm I friends with her husband, right? Uh, and I'm like, uh, Meet me at such and such a place at like 6.45. She's like, what did you just say to me? She's like, first of all, I have plans with Luis tonight. We're going to dinner. I'm like, are your plans better or worse than going to Stephen Sondheim's birthday party with me? She's like, excuse me, I have to dump my husband. (laughs) (laughs) She calls me like five minutes later. She's like, my plans are canceled. Where did you say that we have to meet again? (laughs) Because we always had this joke, right? Like Liz is super into musicals, right? But her, like Louise hates musicals. Right. She's just like, I need to have a musicals buddy, right? But I, I got, and it turns out later, I could have been in Stephen Sondheim's box. But I, but I told the unscrupulous person who got me in that I was going to be late, right? So I, I, I you can't at that yeah, point. Yeah. So, yeah. but I still got in, and I did. It's not that I met him, but I stood like five feet away as he yelled at uh, the celebrity handler who had gotten his limo late. Oh. I was still super sick. That, that is my favorite Louis Knox, not Vargas story. That's pretty good. Yeah. It's more of a, like, Liz not Sparks story. <laughs> but, sure. <laughs> she's, like a, she's a demon. Yeah, she's yeah. Straight up demon. Their kids are adorable. Yeah, very, very attractive. What a, I mean, they're, very, they're both very attractive. Yeah. So it's not like, it's not like, and they're both so tall. Their kids are probably going to be giants. Yeah, well, Luis is kind of a giant. Liz is also very tall. Yeah. I think she's taller than I am. Dad is not very tall. She's a woman. Yeah. Still not very tall. Um, all right, let's go back, talk a minute for a minute about the tournament itself, not sort of the aesthetics around pro magic. Um, Tron wins. Yeah. Second big finish in a modern pro tour now for Tron. Is Tron just like... Just, is, like, obviously, Hogak was an oppressive thing. Yeah. And it's going to need to be... Tron's just here. a deck. Tron is still just a deck. It's just you. a deck. Like, with the London Mulligan, it seems so good. 
the bar is different. It's, a, it's what Randy used to say, there's a different bar for Team Limited. Team Limited decks are all insane. If you don't have three insane Team Limited decks, you're not gonna win, right? So you're like, oh, we got like two pretty good, nah, <laughs> you're decked, right? Like some idiots across are gonna have three great decks, right? Right. One of you might win on the merits, the other two are gonna get destroyed, okay? The bar is just different, it's modern. Like, burn, okay. let's think about Burn. Burn is like one of the most, most elegant, most beautifully assembled decks of all time. That's like the 45th percentile deck in modern. But the Mono Red Phoenix deck is very is very close to the burn, being the burn deck. Yeah, it's just like a less consistent burn deck that has a funny thing that it can do at the top, right? But it's like it, the Blue Red Phoenix deck, right, is is a different animal. I think the Blue Red Phoenix deck is more broken than Tron. Tron is just it's just a deck. Right. It's, there's, it's good. It's fine. It's fine. Like, wait, talk, talk to me about the decks that have high win expectations, like Hogak. Right. right, like, or, or Urza. So, so do you believe Hogak gets banned? I don't think banned at all. What? Banned the shit out of all that shit. <laughs> it's stupid. So what do you want to see? What do you want to see? The problem is, if you format in like modern that has like 20 viable decks, if everybody's devoting like 25% of their sideboard to one deck... And 11 decks still go 8-2. and two. If you have a, <laughs> if you have a format like and I don't even care like, there has to be good decks and by mathematical definition there has 50, to be if you fifty five percent the best records in modern there has to be a best deck right there has to be right right the problem is if everybody's devoting twenty five percent of their sideboard to it then you just have wild blind spots all across the format it's super imbalanced right, right. like and then like who wins is not is not about who played well. Not about who prepared well. It's just I played a deck. Look, let's say there's like four decks. They have the exact same win expectation, but nobody had Leyline of Sanctity, so I win this week. Okay, but then everyone's like, "Oh fuck, burn one last week." Everybody plays Leyline of Sanctity, so oh, so now I play exactly as well. I'm exactly as well prepared, and I never win. And then Hardened Scales win instead, right? Like that's a stupid reason for one deck to win versus another deck. And the, the product, but the, but the thing is, no one reacts to one deck winning. Yes, they do. That's how come there's twenty five percent sideboard cards. They, they, no, no, deck. they react to one deck dominating. That's different than one deck winning. There's oh, there's short term overcorrect. I mean, in formats yes, that yes, are, yes, yes, that there are, are definitely short term overcorrections. There are short term overcorrections always. It, it's it's easier to see. It's like if you looked at like when the Star City Tour had Legacy every weekend. Depending on whether or not Dredge won the previous weekend, there was dramatic differences in the sideboards the following. It's definitely short-term overcorrections in physical Magic tournaments. Right. Moto's different because yeah, it's just like a, a morass of games that don't really matter. And you can also just keep hitting the button and play again. And yeah, I, I, Arena's even worse. Like The thing that I don't like, but I, and I like playing Arena, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I think Arena is a nice piece of software in some ways. The thing I don't like about it is absolutely nothing matters. Like, you could be like a pretty bad player and hit Mythic because you just grind it hard enough for long enough. And like, it seems kind of... Seems dopey to me. It's gonna be hard to do, but yeah. I don't know. I know a fair number of people who are like, "Hey, I need to hit Mythic. Tell me how to make my mono red deck better." And they call me the next day, and they're like, "Thanks, I made Mythic last night." Like back to my back to my original question. What are you What are you banning after this pro tour? Let's assume that something's gonna get banned. I mean, at some point, it has to be faithless looting, right? I mean, right? At some point, sure. The fair decks with Faithless Looting. Like, what if you're like, all right, you can have a fair deck with Faithless Looting because I like the Mardu deck. Like, that's still... <laughs> I mean, that's so you do, you do Faithless Looting. Would you do Ancient Stirrings? No. 
No, just like... I think the Tron deck is just a deck. Well, it's not just the Tron deck, right? Like, it's also, like, the amulet decks, and it's also the, um, you know, Hardened Scales decks, and it's also... If nobody has any nice things, nobody wants to play okay. Magic. But we'll, so what do you ban out of Hogak? You ban Hogak? Hogak and uh, Faithless Leading. Okay. If you ban... The thing is... I'm thinking about this. I would much rather there were no dredge deck also. Okay. I don't like it. It's like the opposite of the word shenanigans. I'm just going to say shenanigans as many times as possible yeah. because it's a funny word. How do you, how do you get Dredge rid of it? I don't like at all. Okay. How do uh, I get rid of it? I mean, yeah. banning Faithless Leading. Yeah, it goes a long <laughs> goes way. It goes a long way. It goes a super long way. <laughs> So, so what, what, what is next in modern? Like, if let's assume Hogak just gets hit, right? Let's just assume Wizards is like, yeah, we don't want our number one card to be Leyline of the Void, even if it sells a lot of Modern Horizon packs. Maybe they do want it. I mean, that's I think Ren and Six is going to sell a lot of them. Yeah, Ren and Six is going to sell a lot so of packs. This is what I want. Yeah. I want to. I work. mean, also, Urza is going to sell a lot of packs because I think Urza is going to be uh, a. Like, the want, word deck was already really good. Yeah, I want Kowaddle to see play, right? I want... There's, like, a bunch of cool snow stuff you could play. Right. This is what I want to see. I want Modern to be about where Modern was, like, two Christmases ago when yeah. I top-aided the Star City Regionals. So I want to look at a top-eight. I want to look at top-eight. Look at 20 top-eights. In some of the top-eights, there's two burn decks. In some of the top-eights, there's one burn deck. Most of the top-eights have got a Tron deck. Between zero and one Tron decks, okay. one to two burn decks. Yep. Uh, and you want to have a little bit more over-indexing of burn because it's cheap. The reason that you want to have it is because it's a less expensive deck than these decks that have a billion dollar And people feel base, like they can get into the format. And they format. can get into the format. So you want that. You actively want that. Okay? Right. Also, it's a super skill-intensive deck. So I, I dislike the decks that win with no skill-intensive it skill intensivity like I also super dislike hard and skills because I couldn't pilot it but if you're real good <laughs> more power to you right but I want to see around no more than two affinity decks in the top eight but yeah. like I want to see zero to two affinity decks but affinity like mode being maybe like 0.75 affinity decks per top eight I want to see a Tron deck I want to see Eldrazi Tron because I mean, you just described this top eight so no, like there's this, no burn decks. Well, right? I mean, I'm going to call mono. I am going to call mono red phoenix okay. a burn deck. Right. So, that, I mean, so listen. I mean, you've got Thopter Sword, Hardened Scales, Eldrazi Tron, Tron, two Juns, a burn. I want to see Jund. What? I want to see Jund. Yeah, a, a mono red phoenix deck, and one Hogak. Then I want to see wild spikes. On some weeks, I want blue white to be overwhelmingly good. So let me. And give you, do you on other weeks, I want blue white to be not there at all. So of the of the twenty decks that went eight yeah. and two or better, eleven Gax, two swords, two Thopter Sword, one Tron. Uh, I don't know what Eldrazi Tron did, but it didn't show up on on the list. One humans, two Jund, one blue red Phoenix, one blue white control. Oh, I want to see Phoenix and humans those kind of decks also. Obviously, yeah. I want to see some distribution in all these decks, but I want to see. I want to see relatively inexpensive fair decks like Rats, right? Remember, there was like a, a pretty decent period when Rats was making a lot of top eights? You know what I'm talking about? The eight rack deck? Oh, sure. I want to see eight rack. Sure. Right? Highly disruptive deck. No not expensive to put together. <laughs> yeah, of course not. Right. So you're saying to me, there's a deck whose objective is to make you discard cards to your graveyard. That's what you're trying to do also. 
right? It, we're, it's like, you know, what happens when the sadists and the masochists get together? It's true love. Yeah. Right? It's not true love for the rat's deck. Right. Right? But it's true love. Um, so, but I, I want to say, maybe you're right. Does that indicate that you don't have to ban anything? No. I don't think so. <laughs> no, I, was, I would say not. I would, I think, I think that it would be better if there was no dredge decks ever doing well in modern. Just rather just not have them. The players who are going to like do well with dredge, I hope they migrate to Jund and more power to them. Like they can get a lot of that same kind of action playing Jund, right? Like here I'm, I'm playing the same colors a lot of the time. Uh, I'm doing wildly different things relative to the actions that I'm taking. But they're similar, right? So, like, the act of playing a Bloodbraid Elf, the act of activating a Renin Six, the act of activating uh, a, uh, a Scavenging Ooze is very similar to me to looping with a Life from the Loam, getting triggers, of, you know, putting three threes into play for, th for free. It's the same, like... You're just doing a little, you're, you're doing it down up instead of up down or like right. center forward, but they're very similar repeatable actions, right? And they're also both, in a way, they're like both progressive card advantage decks. It's just the time that Dredge takes to do this is very compressed, right? So they're like, do this very short period of time and then assemble a situation where they conflagrate you for a lot of damage right. versus Jund takes a little bit longer to do it. They get a little bit more card advantage on the way, and then they, they have some other hammer that they're going to be with. Like, they might have like a, you know, some sort of pyromancer, or right. like, you know, they they, ha they usually have like you know Kalidus domination or something at the end of the at the end of the game also. Or even like, I mean, I think going off with a tireless tracker is not so different than going off with like, um, you know, a lot of these zombies that are coming from the graveyard, right? Like they're like. I'm playing a land and then I'm getting a resource out of it, right? It's right. Very, very similar activity. So I think like if those players migrate to Jund, I think they're gonna feel a lot of the things that they liked before. It's just gonna be a real game of magic instead of like this really compressed game of magic. And like the thing about modern is modern's already too fast. Like I feel like decks that win outside of turn four in a blind environment are like I just don't I don't want to touch them for the most part. So what do you think happens? At some point, we're going to have an era of match. So, like, the next big set that comes out is a rotation, right, in standard. Which means some cards are rotating out of arena standard. And is Goblin Chain Whirler one of them? I don't even know. I Maybe. hope I, I might never win another match. Um, but, you know, Wizards has also now announced that, you know, Brawl is going to be supported on arena. That's Brawl. That's like Commander, but with 60 card decks. Um, How many cards is Commander? 99. 199 in your Commander. Did I even make the right number of cards? You did, you okay. did. Um, and so, like, you know, and that means you're going to be able to have suddenly have a use for these cards that are rotating out. And basically, there's going to be an arena legal card pool, right? Yeah. At what point do you think we get to, you know, arena modern? Postmodern. What's more interesting to me as is a format. when did stores start supporting that as their FNM format? Right. <clears throat> I don't know why people why there, why there isn't more sanctioned pauper. I think sanctioned, there's a there's a lot of sanctioned pauper right now, but not anywhere that I play. Yeah. 
I mean, is there some magic community that I don't know about? I mean, oh, you go to Queens, you can play Kevin Ahn's store. I believe he went Sanction Sanction Pop. I believe he went Sanction Pop. First of all, I've been to his store. Yeah. I would love to go again. It's pretty out of the way for me. Yeah, it's a long, it's a long haul. Like, so I just, I, 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 if you live in a different place, it's easier yeah. to get to, but yeah, it's yeah. pretty hard to get to but, for me. Yeah. Um, but like, like postmodern, you know, has to become a thing. I'd be curious to see, you know, when that, when that happens. Because it feels like there's just like a lot of legacy cards that are in modern that it just, hard to strip out, right? Like, you can't take... You know, if you take away Ancient Stirrings, if you take away Faithless Looting... Like, like it feels like there needs to be a major gutting to create this sort of idealistic, fair format. No, I don't think the format needs to be it fair. It doesn't need to... But, like, Tron's not a fair deck. Sure. Humans but, is barely a fair deck. Phoenix isn't a fair deck. I don't need the format to be fair. Yeah. I just... I don't like the... Com- the, the problem with the graveyard decks is that they're both very time-compressed. Sure. Very low skill, right? They're like, they're just like, they're like memorization of road actions, and they're, they're very, they're very time compressed. So if you would have made a mistake, the game often ends so quickly that you don't have the opportunity to make sure. a mistake, right? And they're super hard to interact with. So what happens is you have an insane amount of pressure on. Well, or the interaction with them comes at a huge cost, right? But both players just have like this, this thing where like their opening hand is so levered. Right, like, what if I just like make a rule that like, I never keep any hand that doesn't have a Tormod script or something? You know, like, it's like super lever my opening hand. Do I have like an overwhelming chance to win because I do that? How how deep do I go to in order to ensure the fact that I have my graveyard hate card? Like, I, I don't know. Right, right? like, I, what, what's the algorithm from the Hogex? The other thing is like the opponent just doesn't have the right sideboard in their hand, or like they're oh this this hand seems pretty good. Like, you just like get them in a way that's like really really difficult to interact with versus like if you look at I mean I don't there's never really been a format where burn was overwhelmingly dominating in modern right, right. it's been fine it's been good yeah. but like you can you can beat burn with a ley line the same way you can beat dredge with a ley line right but you can also beat burn with a core firewalker you can also beat burn with the dragon claws you can also beat burn by having like you know, really good blockers and slowing the game down, right? You can also be burned by playing cards that cost enough so that you're not triggering Eidolon, right? Like, which sounds weird, but it's actually true, right? So there's all these different ways that you can, or like timely reinforcements, whatever, all these different ways that if you live long enough, you can, you can win this game. And it's interesting because the burn player knows about all of these things. So they're like, how will I approach games that go like this? How will I approach games that go like this? Which tools will I bring to bear? Because I can't bring anti Even if I could bring it anti-everything, now I don't have enough goblin guides to attack you with, right? right? So, like, that's interesting. Or, like, I love playing against affinity. Playing against affinity in modern is a joy to me, right? Like, the games are compressed, but they're so high skill, right? The affinity player can... can the thoughtfulness of the affinity player and certainly the hardened scales player is so many levels greater than the thoughtfulness of a dredger or a hogek it's like the affinity players all tactics it's like how how will they block like like i I don't how will they block which guys do i sacrifice right when do i go all in throwing all the dredge players under the bus like this i mean 
there's almost no decisions to their deck. If you remember your triggers, the stuff all <laughs> basically does... Like, the difference... The combat difference between having the card Steel Overseer in play and, like, casting a Faithless Looting and seeing what happens are not the same. Like, people make on-table mistakes against Affinity because there's a lot of shit going on, right? Like, or there's just stuff like... Like, sometimes you just don't see it, right? You didn't have enough math, and they ink moth you from zero poison, sure. right? Like, I don't like it if it happens to me. It's cool, though, right? And this isn't a new thing. This has been going on since Second Mirrodin. Right. It's been going on since 2010 or something. Like, it's still cool. <laughs> so, you can't. You've watched enough, man. You know the difference. I, just, I like playing cards from my graveyard. I like, you know. I mean, that's kind of my I thing. played Frigorid like the first. It was super. Yeah. It was super cool to destroy yeah. people yeah. who didn't understand how graveyard mechanics work. But like, it sucks damage on the stack. At some point, the fact that I know that I put the damage from a Sakura Tribelder or a Mog Fanatic on the stack before activating it stops being novel. Uh, right? Speaking. It's cool when I like I do it and you don't know the rules and I'm just an asshole because you didn't know the rules. Yeah. That's 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 the graveyard deck. Da damage on the stack just transitions me to something else I want to talk about, not magic. Did you see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Not yet. Okay. I'm I'm not gonna see it for weeks probably. Okay. Have you watched all of Veronica Mars season four? I haven't yet. Shout out to Celis. I don't know if you still listen. I would have never watched Veronica Mars yeah, the first yeah. time around if not for Listener Sealess back in 2004, 2005. So, my important. favorite show of all time. Yeah. I, I know. I'm, I, I need to reactivate my Hulu account. Uh, I, have, I have like toggling yeah. accounts. Uh, all of season four came out two weeks ago on yeah, Hulu. I heard it's great. It is a worthy successor. I hope they do. You know, I was saying for a long time, it's weird to me because Good Place is so good that it's possible that Kristen Bell is on a show that's better than my favorite show of all time. And then it's even weirder that she's going to be on both shows at the same time. Yeah. And they cancel The Good Place, so she's not. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a worthy successor. It's hard for me to say if it's as good or whatever. Sure. It's a different... I mean, like, just as an... I mean, not, this doesn't spoil anything. There's a fuck ton of swearing in this, and there was no swearing. There was sure. no Mars. And there is explicit sex scenes in every episode. Oh, wow. Well. So, okay. like, not nudity necessarily, sure. but, like... Kristen Bell's side boob, girls getting their hair pulled and thrown down. I mean, like, it's, like, this is, like, a heavy sex it's a little, scene. It's a for, little, it's a little, uh, this wouldn't discordant have, with what you expect. This from wouldn't have flown at 8 p.m. on, on the UPN yeah, network, yeah, right? Sure. Yeah, so, like, it's, like, explicit might be, like, like rougher graphic, than, graphic. very, no, very, not graphics, because it's not, it, there's no nudity. It's simulated sex when they do the TV ratings. Yeah, but it's, like, rough. Like, throw people on furniture. Like, you're knocking down furniture and, like, not, like, play knocking down furniture. Like, yeah. people are getting hurt. Right. And they love it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that was pretty jarring. To, like, the first time they did it, I'm like, I guess she's happy to see Logan. <laughs> like, the third time, I'm like, somebody's going to bruise. <laughs> so... That there's a lot of that in the show. Okay. Um, but it's, it is a worthy successor. I binged it all in a day and a half. Okay. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to, whatever my next light is, I'll probably, does Hulu let you download to your device? I don't know. Okay. So I threw away my Veronica Mars t-shirt this week. 
Why? Catherine said, we're going to have to have a conversation about your Veronica Mars t-shirt. Yeah. It's rancid. <laughs> and I'm like, she's like, I'll just buy you. No, I'm like, you can't. This is it's like a Kickstarter. Can we, oh, can we let boom. people, can we let people suggest what your new t-shirt should be? So she said, in future, if you love something, maybe don't wear it to the gym every night. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, but I'm not allowed to wear t-shirts with logos or <laughs> the gym. When we allowed to wear plain t-shirts out in the world. She's like, maybe don't wear it at all. I'm like, then what's the point of owning it? Maybe so, people should suggest a new shirt for Mike. I would like to see some Veronica new Mars. shirt suggestions. All right. Not Veronica Morris, so it's got to be a new shirt. Yeah. Both thematically and <clears throat> literally new. Well, you know, but I... But you, so you, but you haven't seen... I'm just going to tell you one thing that you need to know about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. I hated it. I hated it as much as I've ever hated a movie in my life. Why would you say that to me? I think this only encourages you. We've disagreed on territory. No, no, but, but I mean, like, really? I have Inglorious Bastards approximately at one, which we saw together. Yep. And, and I, you I, told me how well you thought he had directed I, look, that he always scene. Has, he always has great scenes in everything. He, he is a... T- why would you say that to me? I, so I, I enjoyed Glorious Bastards while I was watching it. I got into the, the vibe of seeing it. But when I got exposed to sunlight, it turned to dust like a hammer vampire. Like, I, 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 I actually really dislike that movie now. Glorious Bastards? Yeah. I've only seen it once. I saw it the night we yeah. saw it together. And I, and I have I've still, never rewatched it. And I've still never gotten through Django Unchained or Hateful Eight. Uh, I mean, Hateful Eight was okay. Yeah. Django Unchained was better than okay. Uh, I would say... Oh, here's the thing pissed me off. I went to Rotten Tomatoes to look at... Because I hadn't watched Veronica Mars yet. And some asshole reviewer actually spoils the ending. Oh, and I, it's a I already, pretty, it's a I pretty I, 90 I think, degree... I think I know the ending just because there's already... <coughs> be careful looking at anything about Veronica I, Mars. I was so Because there's a bunch of pissed. think pieces and, you know... Like exit surveys and all sorts of stuff. The Huffington Post, The Ringer, everything else. How about you give me 48 hours to enjoy my favorite TV show that has been on hiatus for 16 years, motherfucker? (laughs) Some asshole reviewer is like, they shouldn't have done this, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, we talked talked about this with with TV spoilers. On Rotten Tomatoes? How does that. Because people just don't view. TV as having the same spoiler I would shelf life as take a movies. fucking golf club to whoever that richardroper.com asshole's house <laughs> smash smash his headlights until he came out and then smash his head ruined my Veronica Mars I mean I still loved it sure but I knew what was going to happen but if, and, it affects you it, it really it, bothered me it hangs over everything that you're watching right? did you cancel your DC Universe you still got it I did I you cancelled it I did Young Justice I'll get it hasn't again. even gone back I'll get it again. yet again, I can just get it I'm going to get it when I come back I don't back have to keep Europe. it every month I'm not, if I'm not going to watch it I want to binge Swamp Thing and binge we, Justice, uh, so Young Justice our alternate one right now is CBS All Access that's my next one too. so oh my god good fight is so I love the good fight. It's so good. I haven't watched any of season three yet. I think I watched it in two days. It's so good. We love it. Um, We're watching Tales of the City right now on Netflix. Is that Uh, an old show? So Tales of the City was uh, originally a bunch of books by Amistad Malpen, who wrote about um, 
San Francisco and the, the gay counterculture and uh, this house of people who all came together and sort of found you know uh, commonality and all the differences and it's a beautiful story um, and it was it was done as like a six episode like three two hour actually maybe it was three parts that could have been six broken down to six parts but like six hours of TV I think it was it was aired on PBS like I mean it's got to be like 91 or 92 and it's like literally the first show I ever binged like it was on CBS they marathoned it and Carl and I watch it. We're like, okay, we'll set the, you know, we'll put in one VHS tape and set it for EP. So it's six yeah. hours. And we'll record the whole thing, but let's watch the first episode while it's on, right? And we watch, and we literally just watched six hours of TV. Like it was, it was great. And it's, it's on like, Netflix now. It is on Netflix. And Laura Linney's in it. And there's a bunch of really good people. It was like the first thing you'd ever see, you would ever have seen Laura Linney in. She's fantastic. Um, Olympia Dukakis is in it. And she's fantastic. And there's all these great people in it. And then, uh, but it turns out PBS got, you know, people were not as ready for things about gay culture as they are today. And, you know, PBS was intense backlash and conservatives uh, came down on them. And there's, there were actually a couple of like subsequent installations with those characters that got made, which never showed up on PBS. And flash forward, anyway, Netflix now is doing a new series, same characters, a lot of the same actors, most of the same actors. Um, and it's, you know, current time. I re originally, it was set in the 70s, which doesn't really reconcile with where it is now. I think they've probably did a kind of Marvel continuity yeah. where they're like, yeah, that was the 70s, but really it was like the 80s. Time skip. Yeah, they time Five skip years. it. Um, and it's, uh, it's really good. We're, we're, we're about halfway through it. Uh, Laura Linney's just... Laura Linney is just like really this like incredibly underrated actress of the Not last twenty five years. Yeah, she's fantastic. She's fantastic. She's great in Ozark. She's great in this. She's speaking of Marvel time skip. We haven't talked about Spider Man. Oh, uh, Far From Home. Yeah, I like it less and less the more distance I get from it. Really? So my wife loves it. By the way, yeah. she loves it. Um, I think the actors are all terrific. I think Zendaya steals that movie. I think she's. Fantastic. I tell you, she, like, Bella, she looks exactly like Bella. She like is, how she dresses, how she stands, like... She, she's absolutely fantastic. Her hair. Um, I, I think he's fantastic as... He's the best on-screen Spider-Man. He's the best on-screen Spider-Man. Um, you have to make that live-action distinction now because of Spider-Verse. But... Uh, Spider-Verse is a good movie. It's really good. Oh my god, it's so good. You know the, uh, I just want to watch that again. I just I, I, watched, I, I just watched, I've watched it, again. it twice recently. I might watch it again. Do you know what I love but, about Spider Verse? A bunch of the shit that they put on screen just doesn't make any sense, and they don't give a fuck. Well, I'll tell you what doesn't make any sense: Spider Man Far From Home. Well, oh, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I, none of it. All right. You so, don't see my incredulous hand. All wave. right, all right. Here, just listen again. We're 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 winding down. Once we start arguing about comic book movies, you know we're winding down. Just hang up on us now. Thanks for listening. <coughs> we're gonna talk for a few more minutes. Okay. Nick Fury. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, Tony Stark leaves Peter Parker. Some sort Edith. of Edith, right? This like, first of all, this like death ray machine right like this this world that this machine that is capable of wiping out an entire city 
as demonstrated by the villain's plan at the end of the movie. Yeah. A, he thinks Peter Parker is dead. So, and he has no reason to believe Peter Parker's coming back. He has no time from the point where Peter Parker comes swinging through the portal in Avengers Endgame to the point where he dies heroically. Uh, Pause. He made it anyway, right? So let's, I'm just going to argue this. He made it. Don't know why they didn't use it to help against <laughs> Thanos. Now that I think about this, like... This would have this been nice against the army of Thanos, right? Like, yeah, this doesn't make a lot of sense. But he could easily have told Friday, be like, Friday, uh, tell Edith that she works for Petey. And during the final fight, hey, Mr. Stark, I'm back. Friday, send Edith to Petey. He didn't even have time. There's not sure even time at all. Sure the battle. Oh, come on. Oh, his, his, you oh, know what yeah. really doesn't make any sense? What? Okay, here's things that don't make any sense. Thor. Ragnarok. The dude in the next movie is holding open a sun, right? It's like the ballerest thing anyone's ever done, right? Yeah. How do they beat him in Thor Ragnarok? How do they beat the guy who channels a galaxy-sized storm through his body? How do they beat him? Is it a taser? <laughs> Does Jeff motherfucking Goldblum have a taser? <laughs> I, mean, I got you, Thor. I had a taser. He is, he is the grandmaster. Okay. Yes, taser. He's the grandmaster. It's, like a, it's a pretty good taser. He's got all the best loot drops. He's yeah. the grandmaster. He's yeah. great. Dude is holding open as a star in the next movie. Okay, <laughs> here's the thing. We've seen, um, we've seen uh, in the first Thor movie, like the Destroyer. It's made of Uru. Yeah. It's like the ballerest weapon they have in all of Asgard. That's like that's the threat that's coming in the first Thor movie. Thor drops it with one shot of Mjolnir. Like they don't even. I'm like that is great movie making, right? They did a great job there because there's no, there's no like big fight. Bob, he's got the, he has the higher ground. Yeah, he hits you with his hammer, you're fucked, right? So, all right, what, these are the things that we've seen Mjolnir hit in Avengers. He hits shield, uh, the cap shield, right? Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, that's that's like, yeah. it's like it's a, it's a big deal, right? right. Okay, it's a big deal. Breaks all this shit. Okay, fine. That's, that's a huge deal. We know if he had aimed correctly with Stormbreaker that he could have killed Thanos in Infinity War, right? Stormbreaker's like on the order of Mjolnir, right? Okay. When Cap gets Mjolnir, he nominally has the power. I think he has the power throw. He's like throwing lightning. That's what it says, right? Like in other contexts, you know, I mean, Jane yeah, he, was, he was He was throwing lightning. No, no, no. Someone. Natalie's going to pick up Mjolnir and she will have the power of Thor. So I think... Dr. Thor. Yeah. So she... I think that Steve is better than Thor at this moment because he has the power of Thor and he's already a super soldier, right? So he can can really hurt Thanos because the thing that Lan and I were arguing about is like one of the reasons he liked the X-Men movie, which I did not like very much. Yeah, I still haven't seen it. um, Is that he said it's silly... You don't like it though. I don't mind. Huh? He says he thinks it's silly of Cap fighting against... Cap fighting against Thanos, right? But, like, Cap has the power of Thor, okay? So it's, it's less silly. But Thanos throws, throws Tony in front of Mjolnir. Mjolnir hits Tony, remember? And he's like, boss, like, system's down, system's down, or whatever. Like, shouldn't Tony have been, like, <laughs> basically dead? Like, one full shot, I mean, and as I don't think Steve is pulling any punches, right? Like, they're fighting right. against Thanos. Like, 
<laughs> like one shot from Mjolnir is supposed to be able to drop the destroyer, right? I don't understand how Tony isn't like all over the planet at this point. Because his little like armor that lives inside his chest plate can't possibly withstand a shot from Mjolnir. Camera pulls back. Stanley looks up from above the DM screen. Yeah. He rolls a couple dice, and that the numbers determine how much damage he's it's done. It's still the best movie of all time. <laughs> but like, but, my, but uh, before, yeah, I, my I, sister and I argument is like, far, there's no way he should be able to survive. Far, this. far from home has a lot of problems like that. Today. All right, I don't, I don't, I think it's fine. I had a really good time with it. I think he's fantastic. I thought Zendaya was fantastic. Um, I think every all the acting in it's terrific. I think the plot's kind of stupid. Um, Even make, Dead, I'm the hero. I think it's great. It's just the toniest thing. Yeah, 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 it's fine. There's, you know, you can have good moments in a movie and still not love it. I, I think it's fine. Uh, and I think what I do might you have think liked, about my thoughts about the last post credit scenes are the best two ever, though, right? Uh, I think they're pretty good. I think they're very good. I don't know. So like, I don't know <coughs> that anything will capture seeing Mjolnir yeah. for the first time in one of those movies. Like, my wife still makes fun of me because we went to see the movie. And she had, she, now she's seen all these Marvel movies, right? And she knows them inside and out. And, you know, she's, she's pretty caught up on what's going yeah. on. By the time, she wasn't super into it. And she was like, you know, she didn't know quite the depths of my... Fandom. Yeah. And so we're watching the movie and the post credit scene comes out. Is that an Iron Man, that post credit scene? It's or is Iron it... Man 2. Iron Man 2? No, it's it's early. It's it's before the first Iron Avengers. Iron Man 2 is the third movie. Maybe. But yeah, and so we're... we're I think we're, it's Iron Man 2. And we, yeah, we're watching the movie and I'm like, oh, we're going to wait for the post credit scene. And she's like, are you sure? I'm like, yes, it's a post credit scene. we got to wait. And, the thing, and I'm like, oh, my shoulder. And so, so whenever I'm nerding out about anything, Carla will get like, oh, my shoulder. So, this thing I'm worried about, uh, the new Thor movie that's coming out in 2021. Mighty Thor? No, it's called like Thor Love and Thunder, I think. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, Natalie's playing Thor, right? In the, it's a buddy movie where Valkyrie, because you know how they're talking about Valkyrie being the first uh, kind of out queer character in right. the Marvel Universe. She's, uh, so she's the king of Asgard. She was made king of Asgard by Thor at the end, so she, so part of the love part is her finding the queen of Asgard. Right. So she has to find the queen of Asgard. And then Natalie Portman's playing Thor. I mean, like, I'm a, like I hate to say afraid. Like, Hemsworth's not even going to be in it. No, he's in it. They've, they've, I think they already said he was in it. I hope he's in it. I mean, I would. that's the religion I would join. Thor, he's Thor not, religion. But he's not Thor, right? Like, he's... Well, I mean, what, the, is, what is he when he's not... He's in the. He's alternately called the unworthy or right, uh, so or the, Odin's son. Right. Oh yeah. So that's that's what they would do. And she's called Thor, goddess of thunder. Right. Mighty Thor, right? Is it a book? Uh, no. She's just called Thor. Oh. Okay. Um. And so, yeah. So I'm a little. So oh, wait. Did you watch the boys yet? Or are you gonna watch? I have them? not watched the boys yet. Uh. All right. I, I am. I am not a gigantic Garth Ennis fan. I I find Garth Ennis to be. Uh, I don't the, know. the best? No, not the best. The best I, writer in comics. He's not. I mean, he's just like he 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 and Millar are really good at providing like shock and awe Millar, moments. Millar, Millar knows what he's doing when he does those things. Millar I, wants to piss off. Listen, I people. know for a fact. Yeah. 
that Garth Ennis phones some shit the fuck in. Okay. For a fact I know this. Okay. And does not give a crap about it. And I, okay. I... I would definitely agree that he has phoned some stuff in and gotten paid for it. Okay? Yes. You are going to have a hard time people convincing seem to look, me people seem to look. that a single issue... Of preacher was phony. It is not the okay. pre- it is not preacher. You're, what I'm talking you're about. You're not gonna. You're. I I would. I think his Look, Punisher isn't his preacher. Let me. But he still cared. Let me finish. I don't love Garth. I don't. I don't love. He loved the boys. I he loved the boys. It's fine. Still, like I, I've never felt like it's a comic I wanted to read. Um, I will probably watch it sometime in the next two weeks. Because multiple people who are on the same wavelength as me, as far as the comics, said, yeah, you know what? This was surprisingly good, given how much I just don't enjoy that kind of Garth Ennis sensibility. All your friends not recognizing Watchmen for what it is, not liking Garth Ennis. Oh, we recognize Watchmen. <laughs> we recognize it for the outer limits that it was. Oh God, I'm going to smash this iPhone. <laughs> All right, Canada. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Brian David Marshall. Uh, you can find me at Top 8 Games. That's pretty much it. Uh, I will have a preview card coming up for the new Commander set. So keep an eye out for that on my Twitter feed. Uh, and Michael J. Flores. Mike, where are you? Just put it on Fetchland. Uh, it's call. on Fetchland. <laughs> I'll <laughs> post it if you need it. Fetchland! Uh, I'm Michael J. Flores. I write for a site called Fetchland.com. <laughs> you can find me at Especially I'd have a Twitter. I don't think it does. Five with Flores. Five with Flores. Uh, And here in Canada. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.